Welcome back to another episode of the Been There, Read That podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Batty, and this is brought to you by ChristianResearcher.com. Today I want to talk commentaries on the book of Exodus. Right now I'm taking a group of guys through the Pentateuch in general. We read a book that was a survey on the Pentateuch written by T. Desmond Alexander, and then we read a commentary on the book of Genesis. I had a brother, my brother-in-law, Jamie Thompson, on to review Richard P. Belcher Jr.'s book on Genesis. And right now in that same study, we're going through Alec Motcher's commentary on Exodus, which is part of the Bible Speaks Today commentary series. And so I thought I'd take a little bit of time today and discuss the book of Exodus and some commentaries that I've worked with in the past to give a little bit of background information uh, in case you're interested in doing some studying in Exodus. Before we start discussing commentaries, though, I want to ask the question of why should we study Exodus? I think a lot of people have a difficult time going back and studying the Old Testament because they don't see application points in it or the applicability to their life. And I think that's a misunderstanding of the book of, of Exodus in particular, or especially, I might say, and a misunderstanding of the Old Testament in general. The Exodus was the scene of redemption in the Old Testament. It's, it's given in great detail in the first 15 chapters of the book, and then from that point on, they're traveling to Sinai, and the rest of the book centers around Sinai once they get there, about chapter 18. And it's, it's very difficult to overestimate the importance of the Exodus scene for Israel's history and for our history. And the reason I say for our history is because the New Testament writers uh, follow the lead of the later prophets, the minor prophets and some of the great prophets, such as Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, in presenting the salvation that comes through Christ as a new exodus. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is presented as the new Moses. And there are a number of scenes in the first uh, seven chapters that bring that detail out. He is the embodiment of Israel. He is tempted like Israel. He comes out of Egypt like Israel. He is going to be the leader of the new exodus. And the salvation that Christ brings is told much in the terms of the exodus scene. In fact, in Luke's account of the gospel, whenever you have the scene of the transfiguration, the Bible says that Moses and Elijah appeared to him and they spoke to him about his decease. And the word there that's translated decease is literally the term exodus. They talked to him about his exodus that he is about to lead whenever he arrives in Jerusalem. And so, again, it's very difficult to overemphasize the importance of the exodus event for Israel's history, Israel's future hope, and the realization of salvation that we now have in Christ. And so what I'm wanting to do in my studies that I go through on a weekly basis is take people through the book of Exodus because there's some scenes in Exodus that we're very familiar with, and then there's other scenes that we are not so familiar with. Uh, for instance, a couple of the scenes that I get asked about quite frequently by those who do read the book of Exodus, there's this weird scene at the end of Exodus chapter 4 where... It looks like Moses is getting 
threatened with his life. He looks like he's being attacked physically and he's going to die. And his wife, Zipporah, steps in and circumcises his son and somehow disaster is averted. I want to say that there's a lot of translation difficulties in that passage. In fact, Moses' name is never mentioned in the passage itself. And so uh, Dwayne Garrett, in his commentary on Exodus, which is part of the Kriegel Exegetical Library, again, that is Dwayne Garrett, uh, Garrett proposes that Moses isn't in the scene at all, and that it's actually uh, Gershom, who would be Moses' oldest son, who is being attacked and threatened with death, and his mother realizes it's because he has not been circumcised, and so since Moses is up on the mountain with Aaron, she steps in and she circumcises him and diverts his death. That's a very bizarre scene, to say the least. Uh, some commentators would say it is the most difficult scene in all of the book of Exodus, if not one of the most difficult in the whole Old Testament. And I don't know that I would disagree with that much. It's a very, a very fascinating scene, and I believe Garrett's material is the best that I've ever read on it. Um... But there's that scene that we're not familiar with. I think we come to that scene, we think, ah, kind of weird. And then we lick our finger and turn the page and move on. And we don't dwell there because of its oddness. Uh, another scene that we don't talk about much is after Moses and Aaron have appeared to Israel and they have worked their signs and Israel realizes, okay, these are the leaders of God. Uh, Moses and Aaron go in before Pharaoh and they meet with defeat. Uh, there's controversy as to why they meet with defeat. Uh, some some take the position that they were sent in with this message by God, and they present it, and they're rejected, and God knew they were going to be rejected, and they didn't understand why they're being rejected. And they come out, and they're kind of hot about the issue, and they're complaining to God, and God has to set them straight. The other position is, uh, as presented by Macher in his commentary, that they went in on their own without direction and went with a different message than what God had intended them to give. Uh, they meet with rejection not only by Pharaoh and by the people. They come out complaining to God, and God has to correct them. And it's a changing moment in the ministry of Moses and Aaron. And they're different men after that scene. I think there's some significant credibility to that. But we don't talk about that scene. Basically, when we go to the book of Exodus, we see babies being thrown in the river, we see Moses being saved in an ark and raised up in the Egyptian palace. We see him going and killing the slave master, though I'm not sure we understand what's going on in that scene. We can talk more about that sometime, maybe. Uh, he goes away into the wilderness. We have the burning bush scene. Again, we skip this weird circumcision scene. Then we go and we immediately jump into plagues on Egypt. Uh, we are familiar, for the most part, with plagues on Egypt, though I'm not sure we appreciate some of this uh, structure and what's going on there. And then we go to Sinai directly after the crossing of the Red Sea, and we miss some of the lead-up to that scene as well. My point is, it's very sporadic. We have favorite scenes, we dwell on those scenes. When we go back and read, we pay attention to those, and we miss a lot of the points in between. And so, therefore, for those reasons, I want to take some guys through the entire book so they can at least say that they've read through the book and they've read a commentary on it. I chose Alec Motcher's commentary because it's kind of an intermediate, uh, more of an introductory with some meat on it, if you will, uh, type material. I've read a little bit of it in the past, though I've certainly not read the thing in its entirety. Another reason why I, I chose his commentary is because a while back I read a devotional read that he wrote. He wrote a book called Exodus, The Lord and His Pilgrims, uh, 40 Devo Daily Devotionals out of the book of Exodus. And I read through that, and it's, if you like devotional reading, we did a podcast about devotional reads. 
his his little devotional read on Exodus is pretty interesting. It's just giving you some little tidbit pieces, food for thought, trying to help you paint the big picture of what's going on. This definitely not a critical detail, critical exegesis or anything like that, but for devotional readings, pretty good. And based upon having read that and having enjoyed that, I thought, well, I'll go through Exodus. It's it's his commentary on Exodus is pretty high held, highly regarded. And so I thought I would go through it. I've read through James E. Smith's commentary on Exodus, and I like Smith's commentary. It's a safe read, I would put it that way. Um, it's It doesn't go into as much depth as what you would want. It is not a critical read by any means. It's probably written along the same level of reading and scope of reading as Macher, though Macher deals more with structure and some nuances that, like uh, inclusios and chiastics and structure and things of that nature that... Uh, Smith is not going to touch upon at all. Since I'd already read through Smith, I thought, well, I'll take some time and I'll read through Macher so I can give an honest opinion about what I think of Macher when when I'm done or if somebody asks me about it. And so I started reading through Macher, and I would say that I've enjoyed parts of it, but it's not the end-all commentary on Exodus. And so with that thought in mind, I want to pause for just a minute before I talk more about Macher, and I'll talk about some commentaries that I think are better commentaries. For a general first read, I would read James E. Smith. He's written several different things. He has a five-volume series that is a survey of the whole Old Testament that he deals with Exodus in a very brief, I would say, very brief form. He has a full commentary on Exodus, and then he has a series of small books that are kind of more narrative-based that he's published through Lulu that are not as in detail as his full commentary. So it would be like more introductory. So you have kind of like a synopsis in his set. You have uh, introductory narrative type style in his smaller books. And then you have his commentary, which is good, but it's not critical or super in-depth. So Smith's, I think, a pretty safe read. Um, Another name that you might get familiar with is the name Umberto Casuto. He was a Jew. He died at a young age. He wrote a commentary on the first two-thirds of Genesis, and then one on Exodus, and he died before he finished up Genesis. But Umberto Casuto was a Jew, and he has a different perspective coming from a Jewish background. He is a very conservative writer. He's he's quoted a lot in commentaries on Exodus. Basically, if you pick up any reputable scholar, they're going to reference Casuto's works and interact with some of his positions. Uh, Casuto is famous because he attack the documentary hypothesis uh, is is very popular in the 60s and 70s from coming from a critical background of scholarship to argue that the Bible is not inspired, that the Old Testament, the Pentateuch in, whole, in, in particular, was made up of all different kind of writers from all different kinds of times, and it was all shoved together, crammed together as a hodgepodge work, and there's big discrepancies, and there's contradictions in the book, and all things sort of that. Umberto Casuto has written an entire book critiquing and arguing against the documentary hypothesis. It was considered one of the classics of his day, made a big stride in overcoming that higher criticism mentality. And his his commentary on Exodus is pretty good. He gives some really good thoughts on difficult passages, and when you come to difficult passages in the book of Exodus, he's definitely a guy that you would like to consult, though he's not a cheap commentary. You're going to spend some money to get Casuto. Um, as I already mentioned, I really like Dwayne Garrett's commentary. I don't think Garrett's right on everything, uh, but I mean, what commentary can we say that we agree with 100%? I think Dwayne Garrett, all in all, is pretty good. Uh, he 
is fair. He gives other people's positions, and he, he tries to interact with them and give you his thought process of why he has arrived at the position that he has done. Um, he has a good background in the original languages and is, feels at home in the Old Testament. I, I've always benefited from having picked up his, and I guess if I was going to say I have a favorite commentary on Exodus, that's the one that I'd have to go with. One commentary that is highly regarded that I haven't found super useful is the New American Commentary written by Douglas Stewart. It has a lot more kind of application-driven stuff, which a lot of people like. I'm not crazy about that. I would like to know what the passage means and then make my own application or then have application as a secondary function. But it's hard to make application if you don't understand what the passage is meaning. And he's he's more kind of geared towards application. He does exegesis, but I don't think his exegesis is near as good as Dwayne Garrett's. Uh, a commentary I got that's fairly new that I haven't had as much time to interact with is T. Desmond Alexander's commentary on Exodus, which is part of the Apollos Old Testament commentary series. Uh, I like reading T. Desmond Alexander. He makes you think. I like the way he writes. He's, he's easier for me to read, uh, though he is writing in depth. Um, I don't always agree with him. He's a little bit uh, more liberal than, say, uh, Dwayne Garrett or Umberto Casuto or even Alec Macher in some of his thoughts. And so um, he's not someone that I would recommend, especially not having read everything that he's written. Um, but anyway, he's he's out there. That's a newer commentary. Uh, another commentary that is very highly regarded, and I just got recently because it was out of print for so long and I haven't been able to interact with it, though the quotations that I've read from it and the people who recommend it, uh, again, they caused me to go out and purchase a copy. It was the Exodus volume in the Mentor Commentary series, which most people aren't familiar with that commentary series, but it is produced in the UK. But it's written by John L. Mackay, M-A-C-K-A-Y, John Mackay. And... He's doing more of your traditional verse-by-verse -verse approach, um, styles of commentaries that most of us are familiar with interacting with, as opposed to Macher is doing kind of a section at a time and trying to build the, pic the narrative picture and work off of that narrative framework. One guy that I dissuade people from reading, you will find some of his material in footnotes, and that's why you might you know, think about getting a copy of him, though I think it's a waste of money and time in general, is Beverd Childs. And I say that because Beverd Childs does not hold a high view of inspiration. He is more from the documentary hypothesis background, as I understand it. He's higher criticism. He's, he's a very liberal guy. As they say, every blind squirrel occasionally finds a nut. I think that's probably true with Beverd Childs, but it's not worth investing the money. Uh, his I don't even think his commentary is very expensive now, but it's still not worth having or doing the all the difficult reading to get through it and sort through it. Every commentary is going to have good parts and bad parts, and you have to make a decision who's worth your time of going through, and I don't believe Beverly Childs makes the cut by any means. I think there's much more uh, beneficial material in these other commentaries that I've listed. Again, if I were going to go down the line, I'd go James E. Smith, Umberto Casuto, and Dwayne Garrett, and you might throw an Alec Macher in there. But getting back to Macher now... We'll Get off that side note about different commentaries. And let's talk Macher. Uh, Macher, I like the style of the Bible Speaks Today commentary series that this is a part of because it's not doing a verse-by-verse. Verse. It's giving you pictures or sections at a time, which is a lot of how James E. Smith writes in his survey series, though this is more in-depth than Smith's writings. Uh, he's doing a pretty good job of painting pictures. 
He's pretty good with words. Uh, some people really love the way that he writes, others not so much. He, you can definitely tell his his UK background. He has a few different words that he kind of throws out there. I think maybe he's a Scottish fella, a Scottish or Irish, I can't recall. But anyway, uh, you can hear his voice coming through his writings just a little bit. I think he does a pretty good job of painting the picture, though he doesn't interact with uh, other positions a whole lot. Uh, he gives some helpful structure material along the way. Um, he He tries to look forward into the New Testament and see where some of these passages have application. Sometimes he's right on that, sometimes he's not right on that. But he is trying to be forward-thinking, which I can appreciate in a writer, especially on the Old Testament when you're reading there. Um, you know, a couple things that I'm not super crazy about uh, that I just don't find helpful is uh, sometimes he sees more in the text than is there. I think that could be a criticism of about any commentary that you pick up. So you have to go through and you have to read that. And you're going to, you know, maybe some of that's a bit of preference. Maybe for one person they pick it up and they can see more of the point and the next person has more of a skeptical mind and maybe that's where I am. But I am I think he draws some points that aren't there. Um, I find myself disagreeing with some of his positions that he has taken about Moses. In particular, he, he has Moses as this kind of cocky, arrogant guy who decides on his own that he's going to lead the Exodus, and when the people reject him, he goes off pouting, and then he's he's pouting for forever and won't ever come out to lead the next Exodus. And I don't, I don't believe that's a fair portrayal of who Moses is. Again, maybe in the future we can do a whole podcast on that. I'm wanting to write an article and post that on ChristianResearcher.com because I think there's some misconceptions about Moses during that period. Um, I don't know that Macher's material is, is unique to him in that regard. I think it's something that's held by a number of people. I, I just didn't really care for that section a whole lot. Right now, we have just finished up uh, the plagues that came upon Egypt through the darkness period. And the, the discussion of the plagues themselves is one area where he really shines. He doesn't deal a whole lot with the concept that's pretty popular that each plague is directed towards an individual god. He kind of references some of that in his footnotes. Again, I think Dwayne Garrett in his commentary does a good job of at least presenting some material that should make you pump the brakes on that theory. Um, if, if you're going to teach that each plague interacted with a different god of Egypt, you definitely need to read Garrett and at least come up with an answer to the objections to that position that he raises. I think he's very much worth the time to read on that. But what Macher does is he shows a good structure to the plagues. The plagues, beginning with the water turned into blood, fall into three sets of three. And he borrows that material and his structure from Edward J. Young, who is a really good writer, a very conservative Bible scholar. And I think his material... On the structure of the plagues is probably the best material I've read anywhere, and it's it's very helpful there. He he takes the 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 big scene and he places it before you and he shows the flow of the narrative in general. I think that is extremely helpful. One of the things um, that's a negative on Macher, he's from a reform background and he has a Calvinist background, and he has some Calvinist that comes Calvinism that comes up in him from time to time. And so you have to interact with that a little bit. It's made for some good discussion questions about, 
is this right? Is that wrong? Um, one of the things that he is good about is that he has been advocating for free will along the way, which is something that a lot of Calvinists do not do. And so he's not a full five-point Calvinist, it does not appear, but he is. he seems to be arguing for free will. He recognizes that whenever you get to the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, which is a major, major theme in the book of Exodus that's referenced in Romans 9, that there is the sense in which Pharaoh hardens his own heart, God hardens Pharaoh, but it's not against his will. It's not taking away his free will. And so I was pleasantly surprised when we read through that material and he presented what I felt like was the correct position that Pharaoh had free will through the whole deal. And simply by the way God talked to him and the things God demanded, uh, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And God isn't being this mean bully of a God who's forcing Pharaoh to do things he doesn't want to do and then damning him as a result of having done what God made him do anyway. So I felt like he's been very fair in that regard. All in all, it's been an okay read. I wouldn't give it a 10 out of 10 by any means. I, I'd say at this point I'm probably sitting at about a 6 out of 10, 5 out of 10, somewhere like that. It's, I think it's, it's been worthwhile. It's definitely made for some good discussions in the discussion groups, but I think there's better material out there in general. I hope this has been helpful to you. Uh, I know we're only discussing you know, very short window in the book of Exodus. Maybe we'll come back and do some more along these lines later. I just thought I'd sit down and share some of these thoughts with you and give you a little bit of background on some commentaries in Exodus in case you're interested in doing that, or maybe to provoke your thoughts to consider going through the book of Exodus. We started, as I said earlier in the podcast, reading through just the Pentateuch in general this year, and I'm hoping by the end of the year we will have made it through the Pentateuch. We'll see how that goes. We're kind of moving slow at this point, but anyway... um, I think it's a really important concept to take time and study through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's been very beneficial, and I think all the guys in the groups would be able to say that they are learning material that is forward-looking and helps make better sense of how to use the Old Testament, why to study the Old Testament, and the benefits that come from having that background foundational knowledge whenever you get over to the New Testament and are studying the Gospels and our covenant law. Anyway, I hope this has been helpful to you today and been been interesting. If you have any questions about the material or commentaries on Exodus, uh, you can feel free to send us your questions at christianresearcher at gmail.com, and I'll try to get back and respond to you on those. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to like the podcast, share the podcast, and tune in next week for another message. Thanks. Have a great day. Better is our sacrifice. He paid the, he paid the price, the price. He paid it all upon the cross. No longer bound by sin or with eternal loss. He took my sin and washed it away. When I was immersed in that watery grave, I heard that gospel call because he paid it all.